color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone, joins Lawrence Holmes. Try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert. As Steve was saying, try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve actually poked his bare hand in the booth and has cut himself open. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of blood. Social media got Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes right now on The Score. We get the chance to talk baseball with Steve Stone. We don't pass that up. He joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Early game today, Stoney. The White Sox take on Toronto in the final game of that series in Toronto at 2 o'clock or 2.07, I believe, is the first pitch time of that game. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, unfortunately, our boys are scuffling a bit. They've uh, they've only won four of their last ten, but they find themselves kind of in the same position they were in before, just three games back in the loss column to the Twins. Yes, they've been they've been very lucky over the last couple of days. Detroit's done them a solid in taking care of business against the Twins. When it comes to trying to look, there's no replacing Tim Anderson. Like we all know that. There's no replacing him. Do you think that what we're seeing with Tony in the lineup is him tinkering at the top to try to figure out who should go there every day? Well, I think what he's doing is trying to find a combination that works. And I think in that series against Toronto, I think you're starting to see uh, bits and pieces of the offense coming together, getting better at bats, uh, getting more hits, scoring a few more runs. And, uh, you know, this is a time when this team is going to have to pull everything they know how to pull together. Because out of all the losses this team has uh, absorbed, and there's been a lot of them, and they've been consequential players, the loss of Tim Anderson, to my thinking, is the worst for a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, he was a base-stealing threat consistently. Number two, one of the league's leading hitters. Number three, a table-setter premier. Uh, seems to me like he got some pretty big hits when he had to. I think he was getting much better with the glove over the last week. I think everybody saw that. So as his game was getting better and better, the Sox were at least looking like they were starting to come together, starting to get a few of their walking wounded back. Luis Robert was a couple of, when Tim went down, Luis Robert was a couple of days away from coming back. Moncada, who was in the lineup uh, this afternoon, looks like he's coming back. The question is, will his bat come back with him? The same can be said for Grandal. But uh, they just have to have their hitters start to hit. Uh, I think everybody was so worried. I mean, all I heard about Jose Abreu was, boy, he's gotten old. Boy, the bat is slow. Boy, everybody's beating him. Well, they're not beating him right now very much, and he's hitting the ball much better. So uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of resurgence with the offense. Now we have to have the rest of the, rest of the essence of the game catch up with it. The lineup for today for the White Sox, Garcia at short, Robert in center, Moncada at third, Abreu at first, Gavin Sheets in right, Yasmani Grandal is catching, Andrew Vaughn batting seventh in left field, Reese McGuire, the DH, Josh Harrison batting ninth and playing second base. Philosophically, if you have a team that is struggling overall, and they have been better in this series against Toronto, hitting the ball, how do you feel about handedness? Manoa does seem to, if there is one knock on his game, this year is that left-handers have done well against him. 
Would you rather put a left-handed lineup out there just because, or would you rather say, you know what, I've got really good right-handed hitters. I'll I'll attack this good pitcher with my best hitters. Well, but the best hitters they have available are in the lineup, and I think people get, uh, I think they're obsessed with where everybody is hitting. Boy, how can you hit when you're hitting second today and sixth tomorrow and seventh the next day and leading off the next day? How can you hit? It's very simple. When you take a look at the lineup and you see your name in the lineup, your job is to hit. When you, when your turn comes up and you grab a bat, your job is to hit. Now, if you look at Manoa's record at 5-1 and one with an ERA in the ones, you realize he's a pretty good pitcher. And he's really tough on right-hand hitters. And I think Tony is trying to maximize uh, uh, the left-handers against Manoa, trying to find a combination that can beat him in the third final game of the series. So I don't get too upset about where a guy is hitting in the lineup. Now, quite obviously, if he's hitting in the top three, he's probably going to get sometimes a top four. He's going to get one more at bat on a given day. But if these guys are all swinging the bat or some of them, especially the left-handers swing the bat, I think it's going to be fine. I think what Tony is doing is trying to search for answers. And, you know, the interesting part about um, media types and tweetsters and everybody who evaluates, if Tony did literally nothing, if he ran the same lineup out there day after day after day, and they were 23 and 25 right now, five games and back, you'd have the same people who are calling for consistency in the lineup. They would be calling for changes. How can you do the same thing every day when you're not getting any results for it? How can you possibly do that? So, uh, look, a manager is not going to win with public perception when the team isn't winning. And the reality is a manager can put as many people as he wants in there in whatever places he wants to put them in. But when the game starts, it's up to the players to perform. If they don't perform, if you don't play good defense, if the base running isn't great, if you make mental mistakes, if you do all of those things that lose you baseball games, pretty much it's on the players. There's Stoney, there's no doubt about that. My only counter to that is in this series alone, we've seen Andrew Vaughn not just be good, like getting hits, but having wonderful at-bats. And and as you say, if he's sitting in the top three, that's one more at bat. That with this team, the way that they're playing, that might be the difference. It, it might the difference might be here's an RBI situation. Who do you want in that RBI situation right now? Yoan Moncada or Andrew Vaughn? And I would say that I would want Andrew Vaughn in that spot right now, considering what he's done and the type of hitting profile that he's shown us. Well, I look, I mean, I'm a big and have been a big Andrew Vaughn fan. And so when I look at him in the seventh spot, I'm kind of wondering myself um, what he's doing in the seventh spot. But then I look at the splits. And, you know, everybody, everybody also was saying that Tony is not a new age guy. He doesn't use statistics. He's, he's, he doesn't use the analytics. I mean, he goes with observational analytics, which is basically seeing something and then going with that. So now maybe in going with the analytics here, and I'm just saying maybe because I'm, I'm sitting in Las Vegas. I don't know what's going through the thought process of, of Tony or his staff when he makes up this particular lineup. Maybe he's looking at Manoa being really tough on right-hand hitters, even good right-hand hitters, and not so tough on left-hand hitters. So it could be that with Garcia and Moncada 
and Sheets and Grandal hitting in front of Vaughn, Tony believes there'll be some traffic on the bases when Andrew comes up. I'm telling you what he's probably looking at as opposed to an endorsement of Andrew Vaughn in the seventh spot because I like Andrew Vaughn. I was one of the first guys that said the biggest problem in the two spot can be solved by putting Andrew Vaughn there. And he did, and he seemed to thrive. So now you got Luis Robert back. He's in the two spot. And hopefully uh, hopefully this lineup will get it done. I would love to, for that to be the case. I'm a, I'm a Yoan Moncada fan, but it's it's clearly not working for him. Uh, and, and I'm not sure what you do. I, it, it, it's, it's one of those weird things where obviously a guy is not going to get better by not playing, but figuring out what to do with him and how to play him, maybe this is a matchup that he can win. Oh, I, I think I think this is a tough question because when the season started, there was no doubt that Moncada was going to be one of the guys that you thought, I mean, you being the ball club, management, the front office, everybody involved, everybody thought Moncada would be a mainstay because he was a switch hitter, because he's actually playing still a pretty decent third base, because when his legs are good, he has some speed, and you depended on him in the middle of that order. As it turned out, he's not getting it done. Grandal's not getting it done. And so with with two of your switch hitters and the importance of having a left-handed presence in a lineup that's very right-handed heavy most of the time, those guys become critical. And when those guys aren't doing it, by and large, the team isn't going to do it. And so that that's that's a couple of things that's happened. And, you know, you go back again to the loss of Anderson, out of the loss of everybody – the table setter, uh, that's really damaging to the team. I want to go back to the last couple of starts and get your thoughts on it. Lucas and Michael both struggle. And I, I felt like last night in watching it that, that Michael was having a hard time with where he was landing on the mound. And and I know that, that the mental part of pitching is a huge part of it. You discuss it with me every week, and I'm really appreciative of that. So how how badly can that set a pitcher off if they feel like they're not landing correctly on a mound? Well, let, let me take you back to a, a strange scenario. And both pitchers, both Lucas and Michael, were in different spots for different reasons. Lucas has been through the grind of 162-game season. He kind of understands that. He's pretty much going to go out there whenever his turn comes up. On the other side of the equation, for the better part of a couple of years, Michael Kopech either didn't throw the baseball or was on a drastically limited schedule. So it was nine days between his start against the Yankees and his start against Toronto. If nine days was ideal, everybody would be on a nine-man pitching rotation. That's not the case. Nine days is not ideal. What happens is uh, you lose your rhythm. You lose that touch and feel that you really need to pitch. You might lose your your landing area. I mean, you're just completely out of sync. Nine days is not good. However, to try to limit the innings that Michael Kopech is going to have this year so that he is available and strong in, let's say, middle of August into October, you're going to have to cut back the innings somewhere. And if you run him out there, I mean, we saw how aggravated he got leaving after five innings when he thought he should have gone longer. So if he wants to go longer in games, they're giving him longer between starts. But, look, I I wasn't a fastballer when I really learned how to pitch, but I loved pitching on the fourth day. A four-man pitching rotation, you get to pitch on the fourth day, and the reason is that touch and feel 
did not desert me on the fourth day. I felt really good about starting, taking a day off, working in the pen, taking a day off, and going back and starting again. So I never felt like I hadn't been on the mound before, and I think to a certain extent that's what Michael was thinking about last night. And because of that, you know, Michael still is a very young pitcher. Even though he's 26 years old, he's young innings-wise in the major leagues, starts-wise in the major leagues, very young pitcher. And what he said was he wasn't living in the moment last night. We've talked about it, Lawrence, when, when you and I talk about the mental aspect of pitching. If something is wrong with the physical aspect, when you don't have rhythm or you don't have, you don't have uh, anything in sync, sometimes it affects the mental processes. And what he said was, instead of thinking pitch to pitch, he was thinking batter to batter. Hmm. And for a pitcher or a hitter, the only thing you have is the next pitch or the, the next pitch either throwing it or hitting it. If you're thinking beyond that, if all of your concentration is not on that next pitch, and for a pitcher, where you're going to throw it, what pitch you're going to use, and sometimes it's automatic like it was in New York. When he was throwing that gem against the Yankees, I guarantee you he was present pitch to pitch. He thought to himself, slider on the outside corner, boom, it was there. He thought of himself, fastball, up and on the inner portion, boom, it was there. Those are the easy days. Those are the days when guys with great stuff just handle any offense. But the other days, like last night, are days when a pitcher has to try to think his way through a problem. And if you're not thinking your way through pitch to pitch, if that doesn't become your whole world, then you've got a problem, and Michael Kopech had a problem. And and have you ever had a mound that you just didn't like, like you didn't like where you landed or the way that, that it was constructed? Well, certainly you do, but that's when you have to start to carve out your own spot because, you know, the mound can only be 10 inches high. It can only have a certain amount of slope, but you have to make sure that you're used to it. And the one thing you have to bear in mind, and this will remain a constant, a pitcher is the only player that warms up in an area where he doesn't do his job. If you're a third baseman, you take ground balls at third. Shortstop, same thing. Outfielder, you take fly balls in left field. Left field doesn't change. It's not a different left field when you go to play during the game. It's the same left field. But a pitcher warms up on a bullpen mound, which some teams, and I know this is shocking, some teams try to make it a little bit different than the game mound, especially when you're on the road and you might make it a little bit different. Now, I know they're trying their best to make it exactly like the mound in the game, but just sometimes, and it's usually the visiting mound that's a bit different. But the reality is you are warming up in a place where you're not going to do your job. Then you go out to do your job, and quickly you have to adjust to a different mound. That means that many of these pitchers, and how often have you heard, if we don't get them early, we're not going to get them? You've heard that a lot with good pitchers. The reason is that he's kind of adjusting to, number one, the rhythm of going out there and and extending himself uh, as far as the adrenaline is concerned in that first couple of innings, but also he's making adjustment to a mound that's different than the one he warmed up on. With Lucas, I'm, I'm, I'm torn because there were moments in his start where he was dominant, where he was striking people out. And then mm-hmm. there were moments when he was he was getting touched by a very potent lineup that Toronto has. What did you see in that start? Well, I think that uh, if you look at before the game, and they did uh, uh, when when Gordon and uh, and Jason were going through uh, the lineups, and they showed what hitters were hitting against changeups. I think you saw that Kirk was hitting pretty well against changeups. And I think that's what Lucas threw him, especially the first time. I didn't see the uh, the pitch-by-pitch in the second time at bat. There's certain guys that hit change-ups very well. And I think with Lucas at this point, 
Lucas has to make sure that he's able to establish that slider or maybe a curveball. I know that's going to be that's going to be his fourth pitch. But he can if he can establish his slider, then kind of pull back on the frequency of the straight change, use it more as a surprise than a staple. I, I think he's going to be uh, maybe in better shape because there are certain hitters or certain teams. And we've seen it once with Boston. They did this to Lucas. They actually gave up the fastball to sit on the off-speed stuff. I think to a certain extent the Toronto hitters were doing the same thing, where some of them gave up the fastball to look for the off-speed stuff because you saw a couple of pretty good hitters looking at third-pitch fastballs, taking a lot of the fastballs and trying to hit whatever he threw off speed. So I think that's the problem when you get known primarily as a two-pitch pitcher. You can guess 50% of the time and get the pitch you want. However, uh, as we know, hitters hate to give up the fastball, but some teams have more plate discipline than others. Have you ever thrown away a pitch in a start? Because when I was watching Kopech last night, I'm like, he doesn't have feel for his curveball. And I was like, stop throwing it because it, all it's going to end up doing is put you behind in the count. So how do you go about deciding, all right, I don't have feel for this. I'm no longer going to try to get feel for this because it puts me in a bad spot. Well, from my standpoint, because I didn't have the real big Michael Kopech fastball, I threw a curveball and a slider and a cutter, as well as the two two types of fastballs. I didn't really have a changeup. I changed up off the curveball. So if something wasn't working, I had to go to something else. And I remember pitching back-to-back games against the Yankees. We were 11 and a half games back the beginning of August. We We cut it to a half game back. Before, before winning 100 games and not going on because there was no wild card. But I faced him twice in five days. I faced him in our ballpark in Baltimore, and I faced him in New York. And that game, that game in Baltimore, I threw what I usually throw, which was fastball, curveball, a lot of those. Three speeds of curveball, but fastball, curveball. Now I'm facing him five days later. I can't really attack them with what I attacked them before. So before my curveball could be good or bad on a given day, I threw primarily all fastball sliders. And I had them still looking for the curveball by the time the game ended. And that is something, that's an adjustment I made, but I had three or four, five different variations of pitches. But Michael, again, he's, he's, still, he's a young pitcher still, and I can't, I can't emphasize enough that he doesn't have this backlog of, of major league starts to really learn how to consistently win and be competitive with less than your best. We had a young pitcher who went on to win 245 games in the major leagues named Dennis Martinez. Dennis perennially would go 15 and 17, 18 and 16. When he had his great stuff, he beat everybody. When he had less than his great stuff, they beat him because he was still a very young pitcher who became an excellent pitcher down the road because he learned how to finesse people when he didn't have, he didn't have that popping fastball or that really sharp-breaking slider. Michael has yet to learn that. He's going to, but you have to, you have to go through the growing pains. The major leagues has a lot to teach you, and they're going to teach it to everybody, and they're teaching it to Michael right now. Stoney, I'm concerned about today's game, and the reason is, is that I, I think Johnny Cueto has been – better than you could have even expected. In fact, I, I feel like in the three starts that he's given the White Sox, he's kind of paid for himself already because they've been really good starts and it's maybe mm-hmm. stuff that you weren't expecting. But I look at his stuff versus this lineup and I go, ooh, that could be problematic. So what does Cueto have to do 
to keep these guys off balance. And as you pointed out, he this is a team that seems to have fairly good discipline at the plate. So how can he exploit them? Well, he's going to have to do what, what Cueto does, and that's uh, disrupt their timing with his motion. He's also going to have to throw some pitches below the hitting speed. You know, guys love to hit. Uh, in, in in this day and age, guys are geared up for any five anywhere from 94 to 97 miles an hour. Johnny's going to throw consistently below that, and he might have to change up off his fastball. I think a lot of pitchers, and Johnny is not one of them because he's a pretty smart pitcher, been around as long as he has, but he realizes that he can't throw the same pitch in the same spot, the same velocity to the same hitter because eventually with his fastball, they're going to pick it up. So he's going to do everything he can to disrupt the timing of a pretty good offensive lineup. I mean, Quite obviously, this uh, this Blue Jay team can really hit. Uh, we've seen that. I think just about everybody has seen that at this point. But um, you have to do something. I mean, they're twenty nine and twenty. They're five games in back of the Yankees, and the Yankees obviously are playing really good baseball. So you know you're dealing with a team that's won seven games in a row. They're sixteen and eight at home. They're just mere mortals on the road. But this team really plays very well at home. Uh, there's also a big advantage that Toronto has at home that you might have talked about here and there, and that is playing some teams who can't have their full complement of players because of vaccinations. This is not an indictment of people who don't get vaccinated. That's a personal that's a personal preference, and, you know, I'm a pretty much live-and-let-live live kind of guy, do what you want to do. But the reality is that Toronto will face some teams that don't have their full complement of players, consequently 16-8 and eight at home. So I think that Johnny Cueto is going to have to fool these guys. He's certainly not going to be able to blow them away. But, you know, there's ebbs and flows to a season. The Los Angeles Dodgers and their fans, right now they're sitting there going, um, are we on the way down because we got swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates at home? We played at home. The Pirates swept us. I don't know they if they have swept the Dodgers at home since, like, the big war. But they were able to do that. I don't think people are sitting there going, oh, Lord, it's time to get off the bandwagon. No, they're still a pretty good ball club. So you've got strange things going on in baseball. You've got the entire National League East. I look at the Mets. They're running away with it. They're doing great under Buck Showalter. But I look at the teams that were really hopeful, Atlanta and Philadelphia. Atlanta is 24 and 27. Philadelphia is 22 and 29. They're 10 and a half and 12 and a half games back, respectively. I mean, that division at this point looks like it's in a shambles. And there's probably teams chasing the Mets wondering, number one, how are we going to get back there? And number two, why in the world is this happening to us? The Angels have lost six games in a row. It's a problem for them because they're chasing a Houston team that's awfully good. So no team is without their challenges except the elite teams in every one of their divisions. And I take a look at Minnesota. After they get done with Detroit, which, by the way, they've lost three or four to the Tigers. Three or four. I don't see the Minnesota fans jumping off the bandwagon quite yet because they're still a pretty good team. However, they have nine games after they get done with the Tigers today, nine games against really good baseball teams. I'm not sure they're going to fare all that well in those nine games, and that will be the chance for the Sox. However, as we know, this is one of the toughest stretches of the season. You've got Toronto, you've got Tampa Bay, you've got the Dodgers. Those are nine really tough games and Minnesota will match them as soon as they get done with the team they haven't beaten, which is the Tigers. When do you rejoin the club? 
I am coming back for the Dodgers series. I am really anxious to see what a lot of people feel is, if not the best team in baseball, one of the best teams in baseball, with a lineup that's just unbelievable, with MVPs just about everywhere you look. A team at this point, even with their three-game losing streak, they're 33-17. and 17. They're playing 660 baseball. That's pretty good. I'm anxious to see them, so I will be back, ready to go, and then I'll be around for a while after that, taking no more time off. I'm trying to build to a crescendo. <laughs> Well, you've got as to, the season moves along. You've got to get your your arm ready for August, September, and October too. So, well, I'm I'm sitting right down the road of that circa uh, uh, casino and resort. The, the casino and resort that you uh, that you guys have been promoing for a while. I can if, if I really squint my eyes, I can almost see it from where I am. So I'm uh, I'm kind of enjoying some time off and. Uh, Unfortunately, we we need our boys to be a little bit better and a little more heads up because one thing we know they can't afford, and that is mental mistakes that eventually lead to physical mistakes, which eventually lead to losses. And, uh, you know, it's still plenty of time to turn this around. Um, I I just really think that the team feels that the loss of Tim probably more than the loss of anybody else. Stoney, have a great time out there in Vegas, and I look forward to seeing you when you get back. Thanks, Lawrence. We will uh, we will reconvene at a later date. Yes, yes, we will. That is Steve Stone, Score Senior Baseball Analyst.